Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my lit yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Movement by Lara podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today's podcast is about Chataranga. I, um, I would, I'm, I'm not hesitant. I'm excited to talk about this. Uh, pose, Chaturanga Nandasana, which is a major, major component of Ashtanga, Vinyasa, and kind of any power yoga class. And it's a, a, a pose that has just been um, demonized and idealized and has just become this really interesting conversational piece because in in my opinion, it's become something much bigger than it actually should be. I'm not to minimize how challenging it can be, but in recognizing that it's very challenging and it's in the middle of this vinyasa sequence or this movement sequence where we're stringing these different poses together, I think it has made it a more challenging thing to explain to people. And therefore, I think many people have practiced it incorrectly. I don't know how how else to say it. Poorly, suboptimally, really horribly looking. <laughs> um, but it's they there's just been a lot of talk about how, you know how to do chaturanga um, properly and how to cue for it. And it is, it's anyway, it's, it's 
a lot goes into it. So I'm going to actually try and explain from my perspective how I teach Chaturanga and how I look at it as this really wonderful pose. It's wonderful as something that you lower into or you lower kind of through on your way to the floor. And it doesn't need to be anything more than that, but it's challenging for sure. So first of all, for anybody that's not familiar with Chaturanga, or if you are familiar, I'll still, I will familiarize you more. Chaturanga, let me just tell you what it means, because it's, it's one of the few yoga poses, I think, that very few people actually talk about it in its English name, which is four-limbed staff pose. But Chaturanga, I think, is easier and kind of more fun to say. So um, Chatur is meaning four, Anga meaning limb, Danda, staff, and Asana is pose. So that's Chaturanga, um, Dandasana is this four-limb staff pose. So the staff is really referring to the main support system of the body, which is your spine, being like the staff. And when it's performed ideally or correctly, this the body does look like a staff, like a nice long rod with the spine in a straight line. And it's really a, a very powerful pose. So the problem with Chaturanga is there's kind of no gray area. Like you either do it well meaning, you know, everything's working collaboratively. Well, meaning when I talk about this, I'm not talking about like there's an, there's an A plus Chaturanga and there's a D and you're, and it's not about you as a practitioner. It's about what the body is doing to inhabit the pose. So let's really get clear about this. Like when people say, well, I'm really bad at Chaturanga or my Chaturanga is really bad or my wheel is really bad. It's like, well, that's, I don't like all this labeling. It just, it doesn't do anybody any good. You know, it's just, this is, this is where, this is a posture. And what are we doing in the pose that we can inhabit this shape? And so for when people think of themselves as not being good at it, it's usually like, if it's a flexible type pose, they're not good at it because they don't have the opening. The tissues are not ready for that. They they don't have the joint mobility or something around that. And with Chaturanga, it's like a lot of strength, collaborative strength. So I often talk about this in my teacher training, and I'll share this with you guys. I've worked with Olympic rowers here in Princeton. And you know, if you you have Olympic rowers who come up and they are rowing a boat. They are in, they are in, they're in synchronicity. They're in syncope. I mean, they are working hard and it is a collaborative effort. And so you say you have eight rowers and they are going for the gold and they all show up and they just look, you wouldn't be able to say like, there's the star. Like they all are pulling their weight, literally. So when a pose is looks really kind of effortless or and 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 looks really lovely and we think of it like oh I'm really good at this pose well you're not good at it it's just that all of the rowers showed up that day right they're doing their job and so that means your neural firing your brain knows like in this particular pose these things need to happen this joint needs to be approximately this area and the muscles around it need to hold it in space and blah 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 so what I say with chaturanga and and some other things and uh, this really applies to as well but it's like 
Chaturanga is when you're not doing it well in that not great area and then the not gray area because there isn't gray. It's like you either do it well or you don't. When you're when it's not happening well, it's like four of the rowers showed up and the other four are in the boat, but they're drinking beer. You know, and it's like, so the four that are working are working really hard. And the other four are literally taking a ride and drinking a beer. And at some point, those four that are killing themselves are going to be mad and they're going to get pissed off. And that is the injury that'll happen or the, the beginning of an injury, the little tweakiness, the hot, the red hotness. So that's what happens in Chaturanga. It's like you can get away for a while with only four of those crew members showing up and doing the work. So you might like tip forward and get into your shoulders or you might keep your butt up higher. So you're unloading your weight a little bit. You, f- you develop strategies, but something else will take the brunt of that because you have gravity also, you know, pulling down on you and pressing down on you. And so at some point, your, your suboptimal chaturanga is going to feel suboptimal. And I think a lot of it can be remedied by our languaging of what is happening as, as, as educators, as teachers, and as practitioners. The second part of that is getting over that you have to do this pose. You know, like maybe you don't want to do it. You don't have to do this pose and you don't have to do it as you see it. Like you can do it with your knees down and you could do it pretty high in this, you know, pretty high. Like I'd rather you see you be too high than too low. So I think both as educators, as teachers, we need to really learn how to give people a great map, a great guide to how to get into the pose or toward the pose. And as practitioners and as teachers as well, because we have to really encourage this in our languaging, we have to be okay with doing modifications. And I even hate using that word because modifications is not less than, it is a different way. But that different way could be a better way for allowing all of the rowers to show up and do their job. Okay, so first let's talk about what what I would say. Let me let me see what I, I'll tell you what I see. So in Chaturanga, you let's just say you walk back. Let's not even talk about the jump back yet because <laughs> there's a lot of parts to this. So let's say you walk back into a plank and then you're going to lower. And so Chaturanga would essentially be you would lower to the point where your elbow and shoulder are at the same horizontal line, meaning your shoulder is not dipping lower than your elbow. And that would be what some would say is a low push-up, this, you know, this four-limb staff pose. So your elbows are bent and your wrists are extended. Your shoulders should be, in my opinion, um, fairly neutral, meaning the humeral head is not dipping. And then you have the most co-activated trunk possible, meaning your core on all sides, front side, back, and in between, is working because you are working to hold your spine in neutral that to make that staff pose and you're working against gravity and with the weight of your own body um, spread out for sure. It's not like it's all centered, but it's the center of mass of your body is even with the rest of your body. So that means your butt is in line. It's not high up in the air and that that's demanding on the core. 
So that's really tough. And your legs are, your legs are active and, and all that. So that's what we're going for. Now, what happens is people develop these tendencies to, or they, or they just figure out ways to help themselves out. So they'll leave their butt up in the air because there's different reasons. But one reason is you're, you're unweighting your center of mass. Your center of mass is in your pelvis. So if you're lowering to the floor and all of a sudden you're like, I'm, I can't handle this, tip your butt up and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it got a little easier because you lifted your center of mass so it's not coming down with the rest of the body. And so it's, it's just not as heavy. But when you tip it, somewhere else has to tip. And so usually tipping the butt up means you're tipping the shoulders down. Okay, so that is not an effective, sustainable strategy. It's a smart strategy because you're not working as hard, <laughs> but it's it's a damaging for your shoulder strategy for sure, and and possibly for your low back and neck as well. So that's that's the one I see a lot of. The second one I see a lot of is where you overly squeeze your elbows in toward your ribs, and that is basically you're trying to prop yourself up on your elbows or utilize the big muscles of the chest wall to help you decelerate, slow down your shoulders. But that's not effective either because your shoulders, I mean, your chest is are, are going to internally rotate your shoulders. Um, so the pec major is a adductor and it also helps, it will roll the shoulder in a little bit. So you're inevitably also going to roll those shoulders down. So both of these strategies will tip your shoulder, the ball of your shoulder forward. This is a very bad position for your shoulder to be loaded in. Very bad. And there's very few things in yoga where I will I will talk about injuries. And but I have to talk about injuries in this because this is why chaturanga has such a bad reputation because people get injured and it's not the chaturanga it's that it's been performed poorly over and over again and often at a fast pace this is as much detail as i can get in without actually showing you and i am wanting to you know give you more details if you go on to my lit daily classes i have a foundational series and i break this stuff down where you can see it. But for now, picture that. Now let's talk about the cueing because the biggest question I get and the biggest, I don't want to say debate because I don't, I'm not debating anybody. I'm just critical thinking here. What I want to do is pose the question, why are people shifting forward to lower from plank? I have figured out why this cue probably came up. Uh, but I'm what I'm wondering is why the fork is it still being taught? <laughs> because it makes no logical anatomical sense. So let me explain. In a vinyasa class, you you know when you fold forward, you go into uttanasana, which I don't teach. That's that's something for another day. I've talked about this before, but um, that's a, a forward fold and you usually release your head. Then you have to kind of like prepare 
the spine because you've got it in a flexion. So you're getting it back to neutral. So you do this half lift, Ardha Uttanasana. So my whole, well, this, I'm going to tell you about, this is how it's done. And then I'll tell you about how I do it differently. So you do this Ardha Uttanasana, you come into a flat back or, you know, that's the language. I don't like that language either, but, um, and then you plant the hands and you jump back and into Chaturanga. So Vinyasa and Ashtanga, many teachers will have you jump right into Chaturanga. And the reasoning is that that is healthier than jumping back into plank because you could injure your back or you could do something like that. I'm not even, I'm not sure. So that's one version is you jump right into Chaturanga. Okay. Another version I've seen is you bring your hands down and you jump back or walk back into plank and then you shift forward before you lower because you're supposed to be keeping your elbows in line with your wrist at all times. And that will form a 90 degree angle. So those are the two. And I don't know why either one of those makes sense to people. And I'm going to argue like this is like my, again, my critical thinking. And I am a physical therapist and I do know a lot about the body. And I can tell you that you can't convince me in any way that either two, either one of those is a good idea. Here's why. The first one, jumping right into Chaturanga. In all the years of teaching, 23 years as a PT and as teaching yoga, in all the different bodies I've seen, in all the different classes that I've taught, and in addition to that, in the classes that I've taken, I have seen maybe four to six people like do that move and look really embodied and balanced in the pose, meaning they've jumped into Chaturanga and it's like, oh, okay, they've, they've got that. Maybe four or six and thousands of people. So most people can't do that well. And, and there's no reason they should. And there's a lot of value lost in doing that. And here's where this principle of different muscle activity will come in that I am always subscribing to and teaching about is that our muscles fire in a variety of ways and they need to because that's being adaptable and adaptable is sustainable. Those are, those are almost the same kind of word in my mind. When you are more adaptable, you, you're doing movements more sustainable. So the way to become more adaptable is to be able to move in a variety of ways without having to think about it and with this grace and efficiency. So if you, if I were to go for a run in the woods, and I used to do this a lot, my, if my body is super adaptable, I could run, I could jump over a log, I could switch directions, I could be running down a hill but slow myself down, or I could run down the hill and let my body go with gravity with this sense that I have control and centered over the, in my centered mass. I could run backwards. I could turn around. I could get low. I could run under something. There's a lot of different ways that I could move on my feet. And when people get injured running, it's because they are not as adaptable as they should be because they've done the same thing over and over and repetitively. And then something like I just, I've worked with, you know, 10 people in this last year who have all injured themselves running and doing something really small, 
like, oh, I went and jumped over this stream and I strained, practically tore my Achilles tendon and nothing had happened before that. You know, just something really... So it's it's never or hasn't been really the running per se. It's doing something a little bit different. Somebody's running, somebody who's running in the same direction as them. They sidestepped and landed a little weird on their foot and then pushed off again, like like laterally and then came back and um, tore some of the plantar fascia. I mean, there's just, that's not an adaptable foot. That's not an adaptable calf. So we want adaptability. So being able to jump back and lower is really adaptable because you are putting your um your you're putting your serratus and your triceps in positions to decelerate or control the descent of your body eccentrically it's called so if you jump right into chaturanga you've eliminated that wonderful uh, potential i was about to use another uh, biomechanical word. I'll just say potential um, for for the serratus anterior and for the triceps. So that's you're losing some potential. But the other thing you're doing is you're really putting a lot of demand on the anterior shoulder, the front of your shoulder. And if you are not really balanced and having all those rowers show up, then something will tend to give, and it's usually your shoulders, if you jump back and just land with your elbows bent. So I think it's a lot healthier to bring your hands down. So the way I cue it is you would bring your hand, you would stay within like a neutral spine all the way down, never fully going to Uttanasana, bring the hands directly under your shoulders, and then you walk back or you jump back and then you lower. And in that lowering, you are giving your triceps a chance to decelerate. You're giving your your um, serratus a chance to also um, eccentrically contract to hold the um, scapula on the rib cage. And then the, the core has to activate so much. So it's like such a great move to do. And you lose that when you jumped right into Chaturanga. And most people, I'm telling you, 98% of the people that I've seen, more than that, 99, they jump and they jump into a rounded position. Their humeral head is forward. And that means you're leaning into the capsule and into the rotator tendons that are within the capsule. So precarious. So that's one thing. The other thing people will do is they'll either jump into Chaturanga or they'll walk back and they'll have people shift forward and lower. Well, this also makes no logical sense to me. I think this came about when people would fold forward and they'd put their hands on the floor in line with the feet. I've seen this in Ashtanga. And then they jump back. And what I think happens is they have to jump kind of away from their hands because their hands are lined up with their feet. And then then some people then would have to shift forward because they jump too far back. But then this then this cue just stayed no matter where you landed. So even if you walked back and you were perfectly in line, people with the teachers would still say, make sure you shift forward to keep the elbow over the wrist or whatever, or shoulder over the elbow. elbow. I don't even know. I, it doesn't matter. Um, because it leads to a lot of compensation. So 
one thing it leads to people doing is they're think they're worried about their elbow and their shoulder in the meantime is dipping toward the floor. And that again will have you lean into the capsule, which is not a, that's not a place you want to lean into, and the surrounding tendons. There's also bursa there. There's just so much there. Instead of putting your core on high alert to work, you're actually turning it down because you are just rolling everything forward and often pitching the pelvis into more anterior tilt, which turns off the glutes or turns them down for sure. So you need to practice it like this and see what you think. Bring the hands under your shoulders from a folded forward position and walk your feet back without moving the shoulders. When you're there, make sure your spine feels like it's in that long staff-like position, including the cervical spine. So the neck also will tend to dip down or the chin will jut out. Everything lifts up toward the back body. The front line of the body, the front seam lifts up to the back seam. And then bend the elbows and lower until your elbows are, your shoulders and your elbows are around the same line. See if you can hold that without changing your chin, without changing your glutes, and then you can continue lowering to the floor. Now, if you found that incredibly difficult, and make sure you video yourself because you won't even know the ways you compensate until you see it. If that was really difficult, then lower the knees first and then continue to bend the elbows and lower where your shoulders and elbows are even. You will practice the brain mapping of what's happening in the core and the shoulders, the most important area. The, le- the knees being on or off the ground is way less important than making sure that your core is super, super activated and that your shoulder stays in that neutral position. When the shoulder rounds forward, it just is, you're just asking for some real difficulty in the shoulders. And this area is probably uh, one of the largest percentages of injuries in yoga is in the shoulders. And I really think it's because of the cueing and the biomechanics that are not addressed by teachers. The chaturanga in itself is a great pose. It's wonderful. We need to be able to lower to the floor with control. But the way it's been taught is just super problematic. There also needs to be ways of, of helping people modify and feel really empowered in that modification. And so as teachers, we have to be vigilant about our languaging, that something is not less than, but what is what is the most or what, we're, what, what the goal is, is how well we can hold ourselves together and bringing the knees to the floor or, or not going all the way or just bending the elbows a little bit is way superior than attempting this pose and doing it very sloppily. So I'm pulling for everybody. I know that was a lot to hear and not see, but I want you to listen, take notes, video, and you can always send me a video or tag me on your video so that I can come look at it because I'd love to help you. And I really want to redefine how we get in and out of Chaturanga so that we can do it well We can do it happily and with a lot of strength and with all of those rowers showing up to do the work. 
Okay. And so the rowers here, let me just say some of them, every muscle basically is some in some way working because you're being, uh, you're, you're lowering with control against gravity. So that in itself, there's a lot to be working. But the core, all of the abdominals, especially your transverse and your obliques, people will overwork their rectus, which are more superficial, and that also pitches their pelvis into anterior tilt. So it's obliques are working like crazy, transverse are working, serratus is working, your triceps are working, um, your glutes are really working. They're really helping that pelvis stay neutral. And then of course, the legs are active on all sides. So you want to feel everything, everything active. Um, You don't want to feel a lot of pressure in your neck for sure. So watch where your head is as well. So make sure all the rowers are showing up. Do this movement well, tag me on it and look on my website for instructions on how to do this and how to get stronger in all these areas because I am pulling for you. Better movement, redefining yoga. We can do this together. Be part of the movement. Thank you. Hugs to all of you.